are in a series over the summer called uh, People of Prayer. We've dedicated this entire year to learning to pray. We acknowledged that we as a people are not good at prayer. And it's not because God made prayer impossible, as though throughout all of human history, prayer's been something that everyone at all times in all places has been really bad at, but something that's very contemporary to the Western church in particular. We're distracted. We're undisciplined. We, we don't understand the ins and outs of relational presence with God. And so we've dedicated the summer to unpacking more and more of what Scripture has to say about prayer. So as I was planning out for uh, the, the last few weeks, topically, trying to understand, you know, what is it that seems to be really important for us? Today was a topic that I knew we needed to cover. I knew we needed to cover it. Um, it was very obvious to me. Uh, in our moment, culturally, in our city, in our particular place in the city, in many of the occupations that we're involved with, image, culture of achievement, success, professionalism, all form us to be the kind of people who understand how to present a certain image of ourselves to one another. The barriers of image and um, manufacturing control around us are two of the most significant barriers to a life of authentic vitality in prayer with God. A tool that we have laid out before us over and over again, and that's, if we're honest, really uncomfortable. I feel pretty inept at being able to walk through together this morning this particular tool will help us tear down those barriers, okay? What I'm talking about is lament. Lament. Uh, when we look at the life of Jesus, the forebearer of our faith, the primary negative emotion that he experienced was sorrow. He's called a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. We all have an aversion to lament, many of us, maybe not all of us in the room, because we're uncomfortable with expressing negative emotion, things like anger, sadness, sorrow, confusion. How many of us are, this is an actual question, how many of us get really uncomfortable when we feel rising up within, just a couple, anger? or sorrow, like tears, and you feel it coming up to here, and you just feel so uncomfortable with expressing it in front of other people. Anyone in the room feel uncomfortable with being angry or sad in front of other people? No, we got, if, you, if that's you, raise your hand. We need company around us to help us know we are not alone. Yes, it's so normal. It's so normal. And I feel, like I already mentioned, I feel I am no expert in this. No expert. The pandemic was one of the first moments where I realized if I do not learn how to be angry and sad in prayer with God, I'm going to break. There were moments where I felt so deeply betrayed by particular people. There were moments where I felt so lost and aimless and confused before God about what was going on and when things were going to change. I was just sad all the time. 
Here's what Eugene Peterson writes about lament. We Christians have lost touch with our native language of lament and our freely expressed suffering as the stuff that God uses for our salvation. At-homeness in the language of lament is necessary for expressing our companionship with the Lord as He accompanies us through the valley of the shadow of death and who leads us to be with Him in dark Gethsemane. It's also necessary as a witness, a Jesus witness, to the men and women who are trying to live a life that avoids suffering at all costs, including the cost of their own souls. For at least one reason why people are uncomfortable with tears and the sight of suffering is that it is a blasphemous assault on the precariously maintained American spirituality of the pursuit of happiness. They want to avoid, I think we could say we want to avoid, evidence that things are not right with the world as it is. Without Jesus, without love, without faith, without sacrifice. It's a lot easier to keep the American faith if they and we don't have to look into the face of suffering. If they don't have to listen to our laments. If they don't have to deal with tears. So, I don't know what your experience following Jesus, being in the church, or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just here, and what you may have expected coming into a gathering. But my hope today is that all of us will have our, our minds and our hearts opened up to the reality that you cannot deny your experience of life. It is what you experience. And that God yearns for us to draw near to Him in open-hearted lament in those times, seasons, and places. That's where Jesus is. He was always on the fringes. He was always with the hurting. And the places where we will experience the reality of His presence most profoundly are when we allow ourselves to get there. So, this morning... We are going to be in Psalm 88. It's printed in your handout. Would you stand with me as we read? Psalm 88. I'm going to read this psalm, and I want you particularly this morning to simply pay attention if anything resonates with you. Okay? If anything begins to bubble up within you, the Psalms are a prayer book and a song book for the people of God that we would be drawn nearer to God with words that maybe we didn't even know we needed. Okay? So, let's begin. I'll read this. Psalm 88. A song. A psalm of the sons of Korah for the choir director according to Mahalath Leonoth, a mascal of Haman the Ezraite. Verse 1, Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out before you day and night. May my prayer reach your presence. Listen to my cry. For I've had enough troubles. My life is near Sheol. That's the place of the dead. I'm counted among those going down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. 
abandoned among the dead. I'm like the slain lying in the grave whom you no longer remember and who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have distanced my friends from me. You have made me repulsive to them. I'm shut in and cannot go out. My eyes are worn out from crying. Lord, I cry out to you all day long. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do departed spirits rise up to praise you? Will your faithful love be declared in the grave and your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of oblivion? But I call out to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer meets you. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been suffering and near death. I suffer your horrors. I'm desperate. Your wrath sweeps over me. Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They close in on me from every side. You have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. Darkness is my only friend. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I do not know what sorrows lie in the hearts and lives of my friends who are here. I thank you that you do. We bless you that you are a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Holy Spirit, Please open up our hearts this morning. Please teach us the power of honesty in lament. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, you can take a seat. So in Psalm 88, we read the words of a worshiper of God named Haman the Ezraite. It's the only psalm that we have that's explicitly written by him. Listen again to what he is experiencing. Distance from God. It says, my prayer, may my prayer reach your presence. Why do you hide your face from me? It's experiencing weeping constantly. My eyes are worn out from crying. Experiencing hopelessness. Lord, why do you reject me? 
experiencing judgment, like God is angry with him. It says, your wrath sweeps over me. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. It's experiencing alienation and abandonment. He says, you have distanced my friends from me. You've made me repulsive to them. You have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. It's experiencing weariness from suffering continually. It says, from my youth I have been suffering and near death. Commentators suppose that maybe he's had lifelong illness. That's a lot of what is behind what he's writing. Feels ultimately like death and darkness surround him. Your wrath sweeps over me. Your terrors destroy me. Darkness is my only friend. The reason I chose this psalm, thinking about lament, is because it is the darkest psalm. It is the only psalm in all of the 150, plus all the other ones littered throughout the narratives, uh, books of the Old Testament. It's the only one without hope. The only one where there is not a single degree of attempting to turn oneself back toward God. You can't end much more hopeless than, darkness is my only friend. And I chose it because, you know, I felt a little bit of the inner tension, like, man, what a downer. There's always like lurking in the back, like we just want our spirituality and following Jesus to be joy and happiness and blessings, right? I mean, we live in Los Angeles. Most of the time it's sunny and 75 and everyone's smiling. Not today, clearly. We have a hurricane coming our way. But that is not our real experience most of the time. 58 of 150 of the Psalms are lament. We could think of laments as complaints toward God. It's not wrong to be able to complain towards God. We'll get into what exactly lamenting is before God. Um, One author that I really appreciate called laments prayers of disorientation. Prayers of disorientation. It's when you hold the reality of what you're experiencing in life And everything that God says about who He is, the glory of heaven on earth in the following of Jesus, and you can't reconcile those two. You're disoriented. Some of you are secretly resonating with this psalm. Maybe not all of it, but part of it. And I want to encourage you that that is most likely the work of God's Spirit using the word to open us up. Because what happens in a culture like ours, where we're very used to projecting a certain image, is that we actually lose touch with our own hearts. Because we need to deny it constantly. We need to suppress things constantly. We can't allow ourselves to leak out emotion. And we think that we're just hiding it from other people, but actually what starts to happen is we hide it from ourselves, and then we start to feel the shallowness of staying on the surface. 
And my prayer this morning is that this maybe cracks some of the hardness on the surface of our hearts for all of us in certain ways. Don't bury what the Spirit may be trying to do in you right now. This is nothing less than the Word of God expressing what real human living can be like in the darkness, in the brokenness, in the evil, in the sin of a world that's still fractured. It's being mended, but it is still fractured. Don't bury your suffering. Don't bury your longing. Something maybe you've been aching for and God has not provided. Don't bury your emotion, anger, sorrow, sadness, confusion. The only bad option, the only wrong option is to push it down and to ignore it entirely. It's the only wrong option with not expressing. We'll get into how to properly express in a minute. But what starts to happen is your life is owned by what you deny. What you don't own ends up owning you. You live in response to what you try and suppress. Okay, in it's like December of 2019, um, family's just kind of going about the day. We have three kids. At that point, we only had two. Little Adelaide wasn't here yet. But we live in a two-bedroom apartment, and there um, were, you know, we get fruit flies. Actually, just this last week, we had fruit flies everywhere. We had to, like, put out the wine traps. They work like a charm. If you ever need to get rid of fruit flies, way better than all of our little inventions. But we had these things that weren't like fruit flies. They were bigger than fruit flies. It's kind of puzzling. And we'd swat them, try and get rid of them. A couple days go by, and it becomes an uncontainable horde of flies. And we have this rule with our two little boys. At that point, they were eight and six. We said, we'll give you five cents for every fly that you kill if you can bring us the evidence. (laughs) And they think that that is like offering them the lottery. Money to a small child is an amazing superpower that parents can use and abuse. So they bring us Dozens and dozens and dozens of these deformed, broken, smashed little flies. And they're like smearing all over our windows. It was disgusting. We kind of regretted that we had unleashed these like fly killers all over with no rules for how they needed to do it. And the next day they were all back. And we were ripping our hair out. And I'm throwing the trash away down the trash chute out in the hall and flies come bursting out. Yeah, disgusting. But what it cued me into was that there was a source. My kids have been killing the, the um, what's it called? The symptom. Yes. They've been treating the symptom. We'd bribed them to take care of the symptom and not deal with the source. I went down the stairs and looked in our trash chute and trash had piled up all the way up the chute and it overflowed and probably hadn't been taken out in weeks for whatever reason. The trash had to be taken out from deep down in the center of our apartment complex before the flies could ever be fixed. The same thing is true of us. 
Maybe not flies coming out of your mouth while you're eating lunch around us. But it all affects us. What we allow to start decomposing in our souls without taking it out, without dealing with it. The pain, the sorrow, the sadness, the confusion, the upsetness. And there are certain things that we can overlook. I'm not saying that you know, we need to every single thing, like you get cut off on the freeway and then you need to come to church on Sunday and lament and wail over being cut off on the freeway. Not saying that, but there are far more things that we do need to deal with than I think we readily do. So, how does lament work? Well, here's what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to start trying to lament perfectly and contain the exact right step, step after step, so that we're actually just concerned with an image about lamenting properly. Does that make sense? We can, be some, so, we can become so preoccupied with doing our faith the right way that we actually are still just maintaining an image. It's just a very religious image now might be a very emotional image. So I want to be careful, but I want to put broad brushstrokes on what lament is from the examples we have in Scripture. The first thing is we need to feel what is real. Emotion is not something that is a result of the fall in its essence. Emotion was put there by God. And you want to know what emotion does. Emotion reveals to you and to me the reality of our experience. It is a revealer of what you are experiencing. Now, put a caveat on there. It is not a revealer necessarily of what is objectively true. So we don't baptize our emotions and say, this is what's real because it's what I feel. But we do say, this is what I'm experiencing in this moment, and I can't deny that. It does me no good to deny it. I do need to hold what I feel out, being honest about it, and eventually come to the place of saying, am I understanding my reality truthfully? There does come a moment where we need to say, did they really intend me harm? As though I need to feel oppressed by them and persecuted by this person and hated by this person? Or was it just them not being aware Right? You see how those two things are different. We need to feel what is real if we hope to lament honestly before the Lord. And numbness is a very big problem for us in our context. If you are at all like me, you will try and self-medicate running away from the rage or the sorrow, the flood that feels so uncontrollable in your life. For me, my coping mechanism is doing more stuff. So, I work more, I clear out my inbox at 11 o'clock at night and feel like I'm okay because I've done stuff that I can feel good about. Maybe for you, it's that. Sometimes I open up the fridge at night, 9.30 at night, and then I catch myself, there's nothing that I really want to eat, and then I realize I'm not actually hungry. I just feel empty. Soul empty. So maybe it's food for you. There are all sorts of things that we can cope with. We can be codependent. 
that the people around us would be okay so that we can feel okay. We can dive into and obsess ourselves over work or leisure or comfort or whatever it might be. All of that stuff cuts us off from being tapped into the reality of our experience. And if we want to draw as near as we can into the presence of God, that we would experience the grace and the love and the glory of His presence that can make us whole, we must be tapped into what we are experiencing. Feel what is real. And then, bring that reality that you are feeling to God. Complain to Him. Speak to Him. Just tell Him what you are feeling. Again, I'm terrible at this. My value of emotional connection is very poor. <laughs> you can ask my wife. It's not what I naturally just say, hey, yeah, I'm feeling really angry right now. Like if you ever ask me how I'm doing, there will be all sorts of other things that I tell you about. But that's actually one of the fundamental ways that we stay tapped into God in honesty. Because we're bringing our experience to Him. And allowing Him, in the midst of our just giving everything over to Him, We've vacated everything, all the pressure that's going on, all the sorrow, whatever we might be experiencing. Even joy. Let Him frame our joy. And we can complain to God. Lament is all about opening our hearts in all the unresolved tension of what we are experiencing before God. And the reason it's important is because emotion is one of the deepest ways that we feel His presence. Right? Feeling is not everything, but if we ignore the need for us to experience the reality of Jesus' presence with us, we can't ignore emotion. So, we complain to God. We express what we are experiencing to God. We express our disorientation to God. Um, one author named Michael Card sums up all lament with one of two questions. Two questions. One, where are you, God? It's the where question. Why don't I feel you anywhere? Why does it seem like you're not here with me? There are plenty of promises in Scripture that say anyone who gives their life to God, who returns to Him and turns to Jesus and follows Him, has the presence of God. The Spirit of God is within you. So then, if I don't experience that, how do I resolve that tension? We express it. Where are you, God? That's the first question. The second question if you are the God of faithful love, the rich Old Testament word is hesed, his faithful love. If you are the God of faithful love, why is this happening to me? The why question. Where are you and why is this happening to me? The story of Scripture tells us, tells us, reassures us, 
compels us to see that God is pursuing us. That God is mending a broken world through the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the kingdom of God. But it is okay and necessary for us to hold on to both our belief and trust in the words of Jesus, in the very life of Jesus, in the very gospel that many of us have come to receive and believe is true, and our reality. And lament is holding those together. A few promises that Jesus gives us that we should cling to. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy bur- heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. I came that they, my disciples, us, may have life and have it to the full. Whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and he will never thirst again. On and on, the promises of Jesus are audacious. If we really grip hold on them, we'll find that pretty soon we feel those tensions, if you're not feeling them already. Whether our suffering is internal or external, receiving something we don't want in our life or not receiving something into our life that we do want, we need to learn to lament. We feel what is real, we express it to God. Okay? Expressions of lament. Here are just a variety of handles. If you're like me, and you just need to know what to say, kind of like rails that lead you into the presence of God and draw up from the bottom of your heart what you are experiencing. Questions like, God, where are you? Why don't I feel you right now? Why doesn't it look like you're in my life right now? Why are you letting this happen? Why are you not? bringing me what I want? Why are you allowing this um, conflict to be in my life? Why are you allowing this sickness to remain for so long? Take it away, Lord. Why are you not bringing me a significant other? You've known about this longing in me for so long. Um, When will you act? Kind of the rise up from your throne, God, and move. We might lament honestly about suffering and temptation. God, I am in agony. I want to end it. I want to numb it away with food, with work, with needless distraction, with social media, whatever it might be. I want to hide God. We might need to simply say, Lord, I am so mad at you. I am so angry at them. When will you fix this? When will you bring me justice? It might be sorrow. Lord, I'm just so sad continually. We might need to just ask God questions in our confusion. God, I don't know where to go. I don't know 
um, who to spend my time with. Lord, I don't know who to pursue. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to wake up again and again and again if you don't change something. So, hopefully, you see, God is not shocked or surprised or offended by us expressing and bringing Him our real experience. He's not surprised. Actually, He already knows what you yourself are going through. He is keenly and intimately aware of what is going on in your life. In Jesus, we know that the Son of God has experienced every kind of sorrow, betrayal, pain, and temptation. He's merciful as our high priest. As a community pursuing lament, following Jesus, what can we do when maybe we're not the ones who are lamenting, but we're with the ones who are lamenting. We can lament with others even when we ourselves don't feel it. It's not inauthentic for you to sympathize with someone. It's not belittling to them for you to come near them and say, I am sorry, and then just sit quietly. Scripture says to weep with those who weep, Rejoice with those who rejoice. We are supposed to take on the experience of our brothers and sisters. Three invaluable things that you can do. I alluded to a couple of them. Sit in silence with someone. Presence matters so deeply. To know that we are not alone when everything about our experience is screaming at us. No one knows. No one cares. God's not there. Fix it yourself can't fix it yourself, you're going to need to live with it. Sitting silently, saying simply, I'm sorry. And eventually, come to a moment where it might be appropriate for you to simply ask, have you expressed what you're expressing to me to God? As the people of God, we still cannot mediate the presence of God for one another. We cannot be the high priest between someone and God. And as much as it might feel like in your honesty, maybe you're finally opening up to brothers and sisters and community around you, that still does not replace the honesty of lamenting to God directly. But it's so easy to overlook. And so what can start to happen is we feel like really connected with one another, but then we're still living with this kind of unresolution with God. We need to ask one another, is, have you been able to express this to God? And then if they say no, invite them in the moment even to say, I would love to just sit with you and listen and let you express your heart to God right now. The number of times I sit down with someone because they say, you're a pastor, you could probably help me, and I don't know what to do, and all my job is, is to listen to them and say, have you talked to Jesus directly about this in prayer? And they sit there and think, I, and they have like adjacent ways, but nothing direct, and I simply invite them to pray, and I just pray with them more than I can count. 
more often than not, is that my primary role? We can all do that. We all have access by the Spirit to be able to do that. But, know this, if you cannot sit with someone in their agony and, and be okay, do not try and cover it up with a verse. No, God so loved the world that He gave His Son so you can just know it'll be okay. No, God works all things for the good of those who love Him, so you'll be okay. There does come time for Scripture's great promises, but it's just not in the moment of deepest agony when someone needs your presence with them. We can also hope for others as well. Okay? So, I want to give us, <clears throat> I want to give us, um, you know, we could sometimes set apart the people in Scripture. We can read the life of Job. We can read the life of Jeremiah. We can read the book of Lamentations. It's all about a lament over the fall of Jerusalem in the Old Testament. And sometimes we could sort of set those aside and say, well, yeah, that's the Bible. I'm a me. There's no way I'll ever get to that degree. So I think it's helpful to hear the life of one other plain old follower of Jesus like us from history who was deeply familiar with lament, even depression. So a man in the 1700s named William Cooper. Uh, there are many who have walked the path of lament and sorrow in life, and he is one who's deeply familiar. His life was marked by profound seasons of melancholy and depression for long seasons. Darkness was so deep at certain moments that he would sit for weeks aimlessly looking out the window, numb and feeling empty. He attempted to commit suicide several times, and every time he failed. He felt such deep sorrow and guilt for his attempts that that presented an even bigger barrier he felt, between himself and God. William was also the most famous poet and hymn writer in England at the time he was living. He wrote several famous uh, poems and hymns that are still sung today. Um, there is a fountain filled with blood, and God moves in a mysterious way are a couple that he wrote, along with numerous other poems. But his experience of darkness and depression and at the same time expressing in prayer and lament the reality he believed to be true that God is there have given us extraordinary sight into the tension of life in a broken world following Jesus, the giver of life. So you have printed out in your handouts one of his poems. It's actually a hymn. God moves in a mysterious way. I want to read it for us as we pivot to actually begin to pray ourselves. <clears throat> Listen to these words knowing that they were written by someone who was deeply familiar with the darkness, pain, and sorrow of life. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep 
in unfathomable mines of never-failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Um, I would encourage you, tuck that away in Scripture, maybe fold it up, put it in the back of your Bible. Um, if you're not in a place where lament is feeling like a burning, urgent need, there will come a moment.